When I was 14, I went on a Christian summer camp, which was led by the Baptist Missionary Society, and they used to take over prep schools and fill it up with hundreds of young people, and young youth leaders used to go, and we'd have meetings in the mornings and the evenings, and the rest of the day we had fun. And a group of us were walking down to the beach, and we had a youth leader with us, and we came across an old-fashioned telephone box, and somebody said, let's see how many of us can squeeze into it. So I remember I was quite keen. I was one of the first in. I squeezed up underneath those metal shells where you kept the, uh, the books. And I thought I was fairly safe there. And I think we got to about 14 or 13, 14. I'm not quite sure. It was an amazing number. And the youth leader who up to then had been encouraging us suddenly said, everybody out and there was such a sense of urgency we all trundled out he said run round the corner and he said I heard somebody say they were going to call the police I'm not quite sure how they were going to do it because we were in the phone box but never mind (laughs) but there were a lot of us compressed into a very small space and it's rather like this reading this morning it's only a few verses but there's a lot of meaning compressed into a very few verses that Jesus was really beginning at the outset of his ministry and he'd already been going around moving in great power. He'd been healing the sick, casting out demons, teaching about the kingdom of God. And then he came to the tax collector at his booth, Levi. Now I expect Levi probably heard Jesus talk before, but this time Jesus looked straight at him and he said, follow me and there must be such power in Jesus' words that Levi got up he left his money, his status his security, his old dishonest way of life and no doubt a great many of his friends behind and he got up and followed Jesus he had no idea what the future was going to hold for him but Jesus' holiness and his power was so immense that something was beating in his heart and he just knew he had to obey. And that's how Jesus calls us. It's powerful. And when we first give our lives to Jesus, I don't know if you can remember that that feeling in your heart that you couldn't hold back anymore. You just had to make that step of faith. But, you know, he still calls us. He still says, will you follow me? Will you be my disciple? Will you take my love and truth to others? We heard Rick saying that we've got to stand for for justice for people. And we're the ones that he's calling to do that. Levi was so thrilled, he took Jesus up on his invitation. And it must have felt an enormous weight had been lifted off from his shoulders. And the chains which were holding him were just snapped in two. And he was feeling so wonderful about it, he threw a party and invited Jesus to come. And it was also a public witness to his old friends of what Jesus had done for him. And all heaven rejoices when one sinner repents and comes into the kingdom. And I think we've lost some of this rejoicing in the Western world. We tend to say, oh, he's become a Christian, isn't that lovely? And Jesus is saying, let's party, let's enjoy ourselves, this is good news. Now I think our son had 
uh, an experience rather like that. Our son Sam, he led a couple of uh, short-term missions to Uganda, and it was to give those considering long-term mission a taste of what would be involved. Well, what's often involved when you go to Uganda is sickness and diarrhea. And one evening, the whole lot, the whole group went down with it. And this was a Saturday evening, and then on the Sunday, they'd been invited to go out into one of the villages where they'd invited all their friends and family because it was going to be an evangelistic service. And as you can imagine, Sam and his team felt awful. But they got up, got on the minibus in true Ugandan style. The minibus broke down, and they thought, oh, my goodness, this is going to take a long time. They got there three hours late, thinking nobody would be there. But there they were, waiting for them, cheering as they arrived. And Sam said, the worship was terrible. Their voices were weak. Their hearts weren't in it because they were still feeling pretty awful. And Sam said he gave a totally rubbish talk. But then people got up and in droves, they gave their lives to the Lord. And they thought, what's going on here? And they realized that they had just been obedient to God's call. And Jesus had prepared the way And he was already at work, and the father's already at work in these people's hearts, and they responded. And one family in particular, they were so delighted to know that feeling that their sins had been forgiven. Guess what? They threw a party, and they prepared a massive feast for the team, who were still feeling awful. (laughs) And... Sam said he knew how poor these people were and what a sacrifice it was and they had to eat the food and pretend they were happy with it. So it's a lesson to us. Sometimes we don't feel like doing what God calls us to do. But if if he's really asked us, then we must just go and do it and be amazed at what he does. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law couldn't believe their eyes at what Jesus was doing, eating with sinners. He can't seriously be socializing with people like that, they said. Surely he knows they're sinners. He'll make himself unclean. Doesn't he know how awful this is? Do you know, I can remember being rather like the Pharisees once when I was at university. I was like a little prudish Pharisee, squeaky clean, a nice little Christian girl. I went to all the Christian fellowship meetings, went to church every Sunday. But there was one member in our college, his name was Andy, who never came to the Christian fellowships. Instead, he was in the pub, pint in hand, telling the other students about the love of Jesus. And we used to think, how disgraceful. What a bad witness. This isn't where he should be. But I've learnt since that that's exactly where Jesus would have been. And we, the nice squeaky clean ones in the Christian fellowship, we were the ones in the wrong. 
Robbie Dawkins has a lot to say on this passage. And at his outset of his ministry, he was a youth pastor working in an an extremely rough area where gang rivalry and drugs were the norm. And the young people who attended the group ranged from one young man called Dean, who always wore a smart suit and a tie, through the generally troubled teens to the real troublemakers, including a drug dealer called Wes. Nothing to do with our Wes in in our church, I say. And he only came because one of the Christian girls was actually going out with him. Robbie Dawkins couldn't understand that. But he always stood at the back, rarely said anything, but when he did, it was usually something extremely disruptive. Now, I'm not going to tell you the full story because... I suggest you all go online and buy yourself a copy of this book. It's Do Greater Things, Activating the Kingdom to Heal the Sick and Love the Lost. It's by Robbie Dawkins. And if you've never stepped out of your comfort zone ever, this will give you the encouragement just to give it a go. It's a good read. So I thoroughly recommend it. If you want to order it, look at the book afterwards. Well, the upshot was the pastor of the church suggested to Robbie that Dean, the smartly dressed Christian, would make a rather good successor when Robbie moved on. Robbie didn't agree because God had already told him that Wes was going to be the future leader. I quote now from Robbie's book. He's a bad influence, the pastor said. Having him in the group makes it seem as though we're not serious about our commitment to Jesus. I didn't protest because I knew Wes had a bad reputation. But I also knew that Jesus was accused of hanging out with drunkards, prostitutes, tax collectors and other sinners of various kinds. And he responded by saying, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And to cut a long story short, God did work very powerfully in Wes's life, and yes, he did make a very good youth pastor. And I love stories like that. I sometimes think, but where am I in this story? Yeah, we've got a lot of outreach in this church, you know, with the young people, the, old, the seniors through Genesis, Westfest, mums and toddlers. I mean, the the list goes on. But what of us as individuals? And Robbie Dawkins talks about the word oikos, a Greek word. I expect Tom will say I pronounced that wrong, but (laughs) it means um, our house and family and the 10 to 15 people that we come into contact with. Things People like, you know, in, in clubs, shopkeepers, carers, hairdressers, cafes, restaurants, and they may all seem to be doing okay on the surface, but if we pray for them, you may be surprised how much some of them need Jesus. And Jesus asks you, and he asks me, to go and tell them. There is a warning, though, in these verses. I've already hinted at it, that we can become like the Pharisees. It's not the healthy 
who need the doctor but the sick, said Jesus. So when we've been Christians for a long time, we can easily fall into the danger of feeling rather self-righteous. We might think we're doing okay and start to coast along, even forgetting how much we truly rely on Jesus day by day. And it's at times like these that we need Jesus to come and be our doctor. And when we're honest before Jesus and admit we truly need him, he will come and he will eat with us. Here I am, says Jesus. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Maybe we do need to stop doing good things and being so busy from time to time and acknowledge our need for Jesus and invite him again into our lives. I was watching the news this morning. Prince Harry shared a hongi with one of the Maori leaders. That's where they rub noses together. And I heard, um, oh, what was it? Um, George Carey talking about this once. And he said, you're also meant to breathe out and breathe in each other's breath. And he did say, I hope he'd scrubbed his teeth in the morning. <laughs> but that is how intimate Jesus wants to be with us. He wants us to be so intimate with him that it's as if we're breathing in the breath of his spirit. Adrian Plath sums up our busyness and our need for Jesus in a short poem. I'm just going to read it. Oh, Jesus, don't come round tonight. I'm busy at the hall, and the chances of a chat with you are rather, really rather small. So many people need me, I can't deny them all. So it looks as if I won't be in if you decide to call. Yes, Tuesday would be better, but I think the man next door is looking rather troubled, and I've helped him out before. Well, a friend in need is something I can never quite ignore. No, don't come round tonight. You understand, I'm sure. Wednesday night, that's study group. Thursday, I'm away. On Friday, I've got tickets for the local Christian play. Saturday's the mission, and that'll take all day. Better if we leave it now till Sunday night. Okay? Oh, Jesus, do you love me? Will you ever set me free? I've built myself a prison. I've thrown away the key. I'm weeping in the darkness. Yes, I'm longing now to see the plans you have for both of us. Please come and visit me. And Heidi Baker sums that up in her book, Reckless Devotion. More can happen during one minute under the anointing than can be achieved by days or weeks of striving. When we wait on the Holy Spirit and we connect with him, hearing the Father's heart, then we know how we should pray, what to do, 
and how we should do it. As we abide in Jesus, resting in him, he prepares us to go out and touch the lives of others. Are you ready to invite Jesus to come and eat with you?